Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your overwhelming love, a love that none of us here deserve, but a love that you give out freely. Father, we thank you. Father, I pray that you speak through me this morning. I pray that you open the eyes, ears, mind, and heart of your children. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Very good. So last week, uh, I said that I could handle um, weather in the 50s. Um, well, let me tell you, I'm a big, fat liar. Uh, I want the 70s back. Anybody else want the 70s back? Yes, uh, the 50s were colder in reality uh, than in theory, I guess, to me. Um, but I will say weather cooperated yesterday. Jamie's family's in town, uh, and Jim, her uh, father, drove all the way from South Carolina to spend uh, a good chunk of the day doing yard work uh, with me. Um, uh, stuff that I haven't been able to get done because you guys keep me busy. Uh, so uh, enjoy the nice weather yesterday and today, and we'll get some nice weather tomorrow. But I'm ready for the 70s again. I'm a big, fat liar. Um, uh, but today uh, we continue our series on being a member of God's church. So last week, we introduced this series, Being a Member of God's Church, and as we introduced this series, we did a couple of different things. Number one, we looked at who or what exactly God's church is, and we defined God's church as just a group of people who belong to God. That's all we're talking about when we talk about being a member of God's church. We're talking about being a member of a group of people who belong to God. And last week, we uh, took a look at the establishment of this church, of this group of people, and we also took a look at the future hope that we have as members of God's church. And so the rest of this series, now that we established what the church is, where it's been, and where it's going, the rest of this series, we're going to take a look at what it, what it looks like to be a member of this church. Specifically, we're going to take a look at the expectations of us as members of God's church. And again, this is the expectations to be a member of the North Hills Church. We're talking about the universal church here. We're talking about all the people who belong to God and all of the earth. And what does it look like? What are the expectations of us if we want to be a group uh, of this people all over the world who belong to God? And so this week we'll talk about the first, that first expectation, and that is constant prayer. As we, the church, God's group of people, we are expected, we are commanded to pray time and time again. We're commanded to be constantly in prayer. Paul writes in the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. That means never stop praying. No matter what you do, do not stop praying. Now, that doesn't mean literally that you pray uh, 24-7 all the time, every single minute of every single hour. But what that means is that you don't have an end to your prayer life. It's not like a, a, a sports season where you have an on-season and then an off-season. There is no off-season when it comes to prayer. We are to pray without ceasing the rest of the days of our life. If we cease praying, then the truth of the matter is we are no longer a member of God's church, as that's an expectation of God's church is to pray without ceasing. 
The writer Luke in Luke chapter 18 verse 1 uh, wrote, and he told them a parable to the fact that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So Jesus, Jesus shared uh, parables with his disciples and his followers. And in this particular parable, he showed them that, that, that they ought always to pray. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 reads, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So again, that theme of continuing steadfast, steadfastly without cease, keep on praying. Philippians chapter four, verse six reads, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, not some things, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so we, if we want to be a member of God's church, we see time and time again that we are commanded. It's not just a suggestion. It's not just friendly advice. We are commanded to pray. And to not just pray, you know, uh, once a week or whatever, even maybe once a day, but we are to pray without ceasing. There's no off-season when it comes to prayer. As the Bible is our love letter from God. This is a letter that God composed this morning in our seminar. We looked at how this love letter was composed and how really it's a collection of different books. But in this love letter, God tells us, God commands us to pray without ceasing to him. And so we as the church, we as a group of people that belong to God, we must constantly be in prayer. It is an expectation of being a member of God's church. Now, what exactly is prayer? So we established already this morning that number one, we have to pray without ceasing. Continually, we need to be, to be praying to God. It's not a suggestion, it's a command that we pray without ceasing. So prayer is not simply a wish list. You know, a lot of people, they, they kind of have that perspective, that ideology when it comes to prayer, that prayer is just a wish list, that we want God to do A, B, and C. And so we tell God, hey, God, this is what we're going through right now, and we want you to do this, this, and this. Prayer, prayer is not a wish list. Prayer is not like a genie in a bottle and you get a certain number of wishes. That's not how prayer works at all. Prayer, rather, is our main mode of communication with God. As God, the, author, the authoritative creator of the heavens and the earth, someone who is far above and beyond us humans, we have direct access to God through prayer. We have a channel of direct communication to the creator of the heavens and the earth. That is awesome. That's incredible. You know, we, you know, a lot of times people like to write letters to uh, politicians, and the truth of the matter is I bet those politicians read hardly any of them, especially the higher up you get. Like, I'm sure the president receives a ton of letters every single day, and the chances of him reading a letter, if you wrote him a letter today, the chances, I would dare say, are very slim that he would read a letter if you addressed it directly to the president. Because the president, he has a lot of power, and he has a lot of responsibilities on his plate. And so the truth of the matter is our president doesn't really have time for your personal request. But what's incredible is that God is so, I mean, the God and our president and king, whatever, any president in the world, any dictator in the world, God is on a completely different level. 
He has all of authority. He has all power. He has all responsibility on his shoulders. Yet, you still have a direct line of communication with God that isn't just open nine to five, but it's literally open 24-7 every single second of the day, of every day, throughout all of history. That is absolutely amazing. If that doesn't amaze you, uh, I don't know what will. And so we, as, as we communicate God on a personal level through prayer, we can deepen our relationship. The more and more that we pray to God, the more and more that we communicate with God, we can deepen our relationship with him. That's how any relationship works in our lives. You know, when we talk about marriage and uh, marriage counseling, communication is always one of the biggest topics that comes up because we all realize, we realize the importance that communication has in our relationships. And so my question is, why do so many people realize the importance of communication, yet a lot of people neglect the importance of communicating with their heavenly father? I think everybody in here would agree that, the, that our relationship with God should be our most important relationship in our life. And so you better believe that we have got to be relating, communicating with our heavenly Father as that's what prayer is all about. It's not a wish list. It's not like a genie in a bottle, but it's the way in which you communicate to God. Just like you would communicate to your spouse or to your friends, children, family, parents, whomever it may be, coworkers, it's the same thing. You are communicating to your heavenly Father. And so today as we talk about our communication with God through prayer, we're going to bring up three different aspects when it comes to prayer. Really, there's really a handful of different aspects that we can talk about, but we only have one week as we go through this series in which we're talking about prayer. And so these are the three aspects that we're going to be talking about prayer and which is our main mode of communication to God. Aspect number one is we need to communicate openly and honest with God. Communicate openly and honest with God. Number two, we need to spend alone time with God. Spend alone time with God. And then finally, number three, prayer makes a difference. Those are the three aspects that we're briefly going to talk about this morning. So number one, communicating openly and honest to God. When we communicate to God through prayer, I would encourage you to communicate with him like you would a spouse or a close friend. I would always want 24-7 Jamie to communicate with me what she is thinking in an open and honest manner. If Jamie's upset with me, I would want her to communicate with that me. If she's happy with me, I would want her to communicate that with me. If she's mad with me, I'd want her to communicate that with me because it's unhealthy to, you know, boil these emotions in ourselves. And the same is true with Jamie. If I were happy with Jamie, I'm sure she would want me to communicate that with her. And on the other hand, if I were upset with her, I'm sure she would want me to communicate that to her. Isn't that right, darling? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, 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 we got an affirmative. That's right. We, we, we need to communicate openly and honestly with those that we have a close relationship with. And so you better bet that we have to communicate openly and honestly with God with the being in which relationship is the most important in our life. 
And so no matter what you are feeling, I would encourage you to express those feelings to God. If you are in a time of celebration, if you're rejoicing the birth of a child, if you're rejoicing uh, the baptism of a friend or loved one, if you're rejoicing the birthday, if if you're rejoicing, I would encourage you to share those feelings of joy with God. Let him know that you're happy. Let him know that you're filled with joy in that moment. If you're filled with sadness, if you lost a loved one, if you see a loved one or a friend go down a path that you wouldn't want them to, if you're just sad with all the circumstances in the world, I'd encourage you, openly and honestly communicate those feelings of sadness. Those are feelings that God created. If you're angry, if you're angry that God would allow a loved one to die, if you're angry that God would allow this pandemic to to take over the the main topic of this world, if you're angry that, that, that God would let your loved one go somewhere where they shouldn't be, communicate that with God. Openly and honestly, we all have emotions of anger from time to time. If you think you're the only one who's angry with God, let me tell you, you are wrong. We all have those emotions. And for some reason, I don't know why, but for some reason we have this misconception that we need to hide these feelings of sadness and anger from God. But in reality, all that God wants from you is your authentic self. God knows if you are upset. God knows if you're angry. There's no point in hiding those feelings from him. And so just like you would communicate openly and honestly with your spouse or with your family member or friend, you should openly and honestly communicate with God. Especially if we're upset. I would encourage you all the more, if you're upset or angry, communicate those feelings to God. I think of a handful of our heroes of our faith that spent time expressing their raw, genuine, authentic emotions to God. And these are some of our great heroes of our faith. I think of Moses. Moses is like the guy for the Jews. He's like the guy of the Old Testament, the writer of the five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The guy who led God's people from slavery back to the promised land. And the guy, Moses, the great hero of our faith, he constantly, he was constantly complaining and expressing his his feelings of frustration with God. He says, God, why do you put me in this place? Why do you have me lead this group of people who are a bunch of whiny and complaining people that are the most ungrateful bunch of people in the world? Why'd you put me in this circumstance? And he openly communicated that to God. And I'm sure it it wasn't in uh, the the friendliest tone of voice uh, from time to time. But again, he openly and authentically and genuinely expressed those feelings to God. I think of Job. I love the story of Job. And how chapter one starts off with Job losing basically literally everything that he had. His children, his servants, his livestock, his, his own wife, 
not, not through death, but, but his wife hating him. He literally lost everything in one day. And of course, Job was upset. Of course, Job was angry with God. And Job openly expressed these feelings to God saying, God, why in the world would you let this happen to me? I'm a righteous man. And he openly expressed that. I think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the prophet to, to uh, the, the nation of Israel, known as the weeping prophet because the people wouldn't listen to him. Jeremiah cried out to God. He even claimed that God deceived him. He's frustrated with God. God, why would you have me be a prophet to a people who wouldn't listen to a word that I speak? I understand. I understand why he's frustrated. I understand why he's sad. I understand why he's known as a weeping prophet. Or David. My favorite hero of our faith is angry. He's angry with God and communicated that with God when God struck down Uzzah for touching the Ark of the Covenant. Some of us may remember that story. And, and for me, in my perspective, thousands of years later, I think, wow, that's kind of harsh, God, don't you think? And apparently, David had similar thoughts. He was angry with God. You can read the story. It says David was angry with God. And let me tell you, he communicated that with God. And so these awesome heroes of our faith, they communicated openly and honestly with God. We see lots of times of praises. The book of Psalms is full of different praises. But we also see time and time again where these great heroes of our faith, they express these raw kind of nasty emotions with God. And I think that's good. I think that's to be encouraged. Because if we look at a marriage, if we look at a marriage and, and, and we see a spouse hiding all of their emotions from uh, all the negative emotions, emotions uh, of anger and sadness, that is extremely, extremely unhealthy. When you read through different marriage books, you're taught to communicate openly and honestly. And so why in the world would we change things up when we're relating with God? I'm telling you, we shouldn't. We shouldn't change it. We should communicate openly and honestly with him as well, just like the heroes of our faith did. It's okay to be upset with God. Some people need to hear that. It's okay to be upset with God. But what's not okay is that you hide those feelings of anger and sadness and grief from God need to express those feelings openly and honestly with God. That communication is part of the healing process. So aspect number one, be open and honest when you pray to God. Aspect number two that we'll talk about this morning is spend alone time with God. We all need to spend that alone time with God. We need to get away from the world's isolate ourselves, and seek God in prayer. Our society constantly teaches us more is better. More and more and more is better. The more you can fill your life and schedule with these good things, the better. I mean, that's how a lot of people view this world. I think about our schools. Our, our schools teach kids to get involved in as much as possible because there's a lot of good activities that you can get involved in. Sports are good. I think sports are good for people. 
and, and the proper perspective. They're good for your physical health. They're, they're good in, in building teamwork. I think art is good for people. It helps you be creative as a person. I think these extracurricular activities are good for people as they encourage our students to explore life outside of math, English, and science and history. I, I think these are activities are good. But too much is too much. We can't just pile up more and more and more in our lives. Where all of a sudden, these good things, these good things in our lives, sports, art, family, careers, these good things that produce good things in our life, all of a sudden, they become an idol in our life. They take our number one priority in life, probably the biggest issue that the Israelites struggled with in the Old Testament. And so society teaches us to pile more and more in our schedules, but I think the Bible teaches us the opposite. Five times in the Bible, we are commanded to be still. To be still. For the sake of time, we won't read them all, but I'll provide the reference for you all. Exodus Exodus chapter 14, verse 14. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 11. Psalm 37, verse 7. Psalm 46, verse 10. And Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13. Five times we are commanded to be still. If you miss those references, if you're taking notes, you can come see me after the service. But we need to be still. Psalm 46, 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Jesus, when I think about Jesus, he must have been like the busiest person in the world. I mean, he had more on his plate than any other human being in all of history. And everything that was thrown onto Jesus' plate, everything that was thrown on his shoulders, the sins of the world, Jesus would often withdraw to a desolate place and pray. And so if Jesus had the time to pray, we certainly have the time. If Jesus, with all the extremely, extremely important responsibilities like teaching his disciples, like teaching the word of God to other people, even when he had these extremely important responsibilities, he still made time to be still, to know that Yahweh is God, and to seek God in prayer in a a desolate place. And so if Jesus did that, then, then we have to do that as well. I know you guys are busy. Our society throws a lot on our plates. But we need to make time to spend alone time with God. I'll ask you, when was the last time that you withdrew to a desolate place to be still and pray to God? Seriously, think about that. When was the last time that you went away either to a park, you went away, you closed everybody off from your bedroom, you went out in nature somewhere? When was the last time that you went to a desolate place to be still and know that Yahweh is God and to seek him in prayer. And I'm gonna guess that some of us have never had that experience. If that's you, if you've never gone to a remote place, a desolate place to spend alone time with God, then I'm telling you this week, make that time. Don't find that time. If you, if you are relying on finding that time, let me tell you, you are never going to find that time. 
Because again, society throws a lot on our plate. We have to make that time. Just like we make time for our family and our friends and our careers and our hobbies and whatever it may be, we need to make time to spend that alone time with God in a remote place, a desolate place, and to just be still and know that Yahweh is God. Trust me, if you do this, you will thank me later. It is a tremendous experience. So that's aspect number two, make alone time with God. Aspect number three when it comes to prayer is that prayer makes a difference. The New Testament uh, strongly supports this idea that prayer makes a difference. Matthew chapter 7 verse 7 reads, ask and it will be given to you. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. James chapter 5 verse 15 reads, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. James chapter 4 verse 2, the latter half of the verse reads, you do not have, why? Because you do not ask. And so these verses, they they communicate this idea that prayer makes a difference in our lives. We ask, why don't we have? It's because we haven't even asked in the first place. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. And so these verses communicate to us that, hey, prayer does make a difference. When we connect, when we relate with the authoritative creator of the heavens and the earth, let me tell you, that will make a difference in your life. I mean, we, we see this through a handful of examples in the Old Testament as well that prove this point. I think about Abraham. When, when uh, his family member Lot was in the city of Sodom and, and God told Abraham that he was going to destroy the city of Sodom because of all of their wickedness. But God said, if you find 50 righteous people, then I'll save the city. But Abraham prayed, he, he, he related with God and, and Abraham kind of bartered, uh, for a lack of better words, kind of bartered with God to get that number down to five. His prayer made a difference. I think... About God, I think about what God said he was going to do to the city of Nineveh in the story of Jonah. The, the city of Nineveh was filled with wicked people and God had it. God said that he was going to destroy the city of Nineveh. God said that himself. Well, guess what? The people repented. The people prayed to God and asked for forgiveness and, and turned their life around. And guess what? God changed his course of action. God spared the city of Nineveh. Why? Because the people asked. The people asked. And finally, I think of the best kings of Judah. And King Hezekiah, he, he, he fell sick, and uh, God told him that he was about to die from the sickness, and he was not going to be healed. Well, Hezekiah asked to be healed. He prayed to God, and God changed his course of action and healed Hezekiah. And so we can see through numerous examples that prayer does make a difference. It absolutely makes a difference. And I know that many of you guys have personal testimonies in your life to prove this, to prove that prayer really does make a difference. I have testimonies. I know you guys have testimonies in your life to show that prayer makes a difference. I think personal testimonies are the most powerful proof that we have. Now, the difficult part to address when we realize that prayer makes a difference is that sometimes our prayers may go unanswered. 
Russ and I just talked about this earlier this week after midweek service, and, and, and we discussed, and, and there's no easy answer. There is not a single easy answer to address unanswered prayer. Raise your hand if you've prayed for a loved one to be healed of a sickness and that person wasn't healed of their sickness. Raise your hand. I would dare say every single one of us, every single one of us, I'm sure, throughout our history, have prayed for someone to be healed of their sickness. And sometimes God just doesn't answer in the way that we see fit. And I hate to tell you, but I don't know of an easy answer to this. But what I do want to encourage you all this morning is that Jesus experienced the same thing. Jesus experienced unanswered prayer as well. In John chapter 17, in the high priestly prayer, I'd encourage you guys to read John chapter 17 if you haven't read it. We see a long dialogue of Jesus, or a monologue really, of Jesus praying to God. That'd be pretty cool to see what it looked like when Jesus prayed to God. And in this prayer that Jesus prays to God, he prays for you and I. He prays for his disciples. And you know what he says in this prayer? He says, God, make them one. Just as you and I are one, as we have the same will and the same purpose, make them one. Well, guess what? Here in the year 2021, we have over 34,000 denominations. Does that sound like a church that is one? I would say no. I would say that is not a church that is one, a group of people that is one. I would say that prayer went unanswered. You could allude to Jesus uh, praying uh, for his 12 disciples. He prayed to God for guidance in selecting the 12 disciples. You can make a point uh, that maybe God didn't answer his prayer there, as one of the disciples that Jesus picked was Judas, and Judas Iscariot, and we know that Judas later on uh, betrayed Jesus and handed him over to the enemy. You can make the point, you can make that argument. You could also make the argument that the night before Jesus was crucified, he had this conversation with Peter as Jesus at the, the Last Supper, he revealed to his disciples that everybody was going uh, to leave him. They were all going to have a lack of faith. And of course, Peter, Peter, the rock style guy, the rock of the church, he says, no way, no way, Jesus, am I going to back down? No way, even if I must die. And so Jesus, he prayed for him. Jesus prayed that Peter's faith shall not fail. And that same night, that same night that Jesus prayed this prayer, Peter denied him three times. We see Peter's faith failed to him that same night that Jesus prayed for his faith. That's difficult to live with. The idea of unanswered prayer that sometimes God doesn't answer the prayers that we want or that we see fit. The truth of the matter is that we live in a broken world, a world that's been broken by sin and the curse of sin, and unfortunately, we're living those repercussions. We're living the repercussions of death and pain and sorrow. And let me tell you, when we pray, when we ask, it does make a difference. Sometimes God answers it just the way that we see fit. I truly do believe that prayer makes a difference. But you know, sometimes our prayers may go unanswered, or they may be answered differently than we would like. And at the same time, 
I believe in miracles. I really do believe in miracles. But do you know why they are miracles? It's because they are the rare exception to the norm. That's why they are miracles. If they happen any and everywhere, they'd no longer be a miracle. But yes, I do believe in miracles, but again, they're miracles because they are the rare exception to the norm. But prayer all in all, when we look at the grand scheme of things in prayer, we see that prayer really does make a difference. God will change his course of action. We've seen that. We've seen that in the scripture with Abraham and and, and the city of Nineveh. He will change his course of action. And so prayer in a nutshell, as as we kind of summarize uh, these thoughts this morning, prayer in a nutshell is our way in which we communicate to our heavenly father. It's her main mode of communication that's open 24-7 every single second of every single day. And we've all been commanded to access this line of communication. Really, we shouldn't even need to be commanded. We shouldn't need to be told that we can pray to God, but yet we have. We have been commanded. And so if we want to be a member of God's church, we need, not suggestion, we need to pray without ceasing. And so when we look at prayer, we, we, we learn that we need our prayer to be open and honest. Just like your relationship with your other loved ones. Your relationship with God needs to be open and honest no matter what you are feeling at that time. A raw, genuine, authentic prayer. We learn that we need to withdraw from society. We need to withdraw from our loved ones, from our friends. And we need to spend that alone time with God. That means no phone. That means no kids. That means no spouses, no friends, whatever it may be. There's no excuse as to why we cannot find or make alone time with God. If you think you have a good excuse, I I bet I can fix that excuse for you. So if you have one of those, bring them to me and I can solve all your issues for you. Uh, No kidding. Um, But there is no good excuse there. So we need to make that time to be still and know that Yahweh is God. Seek him in prayer. And finally, we, we, we realize that prayer does make a difference. Some of us have personal testimonies to prove this, that prayer does make a difference. But yet, sometimes when we ask, sometimes when we pray, it's not answered in the way that we want or in the way that we see fit. But prayer does make a difference. And so we, as members of God's church, we have the expectation and we have the commandment to pray without ceasing. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this church. Father, I thank you for the direct line of communication that you have open 24-7. Father, I pray that everyone here takes advantage of this wonderful, awesome opportunity, this wonderful blessing to be able to communicate with you directly. Father, I pray that all of us here, we are able to make time in our lives to spend that alone time with you. And Father, I pray that everybody here is able to see the true power, the true difference that prayer can make. 
Father, we love you. We long for the day where your son returns to establish your coming kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.